You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Amen. Praise the Lord for that truth. Amen. Sweet Jesus, my Savior, my shelter, uh, the peace that we have in the time of storm. And think about that peace this morning. I just want to share uh, a few thoughts with you this morning, a few verses, and uh, I hope you have your Bibles uh, on your lap there with you, sitting with your family, and be sure you turn and uh, uh, turn to the verses, follow along with us, and by the way, take some pictures of the family worshiping together and maybe post them on uh, on Facebook, and I think that would be kind of a fun thing that we could do in community, because uh, in a way we're apart, but in another way we're, we're together, so it's a cool thing. Uh, you know, it's always been a scary time and a crazy week. Uh, just to think about uh, just a head spinning week um, you know but as I was thinking about you know how that COVID-19 has really grabbed the world's attention to say the very least it has been a head spinning week uh, we have gone from everything being normal in a lot of ways everything being great to all of a sudden uh, what in the world is going on uh, and so it's a really total totally uncharted waters at least for our generation now um, this has people asking a lot of questions. I mean, uh, people in the church, people outside of the church. But among those are questions like, is this the end of the world? Uh, you know, it's interesting if you watch the news and be, uh, how often you hear, you're hearing words like Armageddon or apocalyptic and some of these things. Uh, and my goal is to address or to a, attempt to address some of these questions uh, as, or as much as possible in this brief sermon today. I want to share a verse beginning in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1, but I do want to turn to several different passages, so I hope that you'll uh, turn and follow along as we look into the Word of God today. I want to start with the verse, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, things which must shortly come to pass, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm glad today that the Word of God, the Bible, has the answers to the questions that we face uh, today, tomorrow, uh, and forevermore. God's Amen. Word is an eternal book. Right. Um, and so as we think about that, uh, the, the Bible is not merely a random collection of stories or legends, but I'm telling you, it is a miraculous and extremely relevant book to today. And I mean today as in obviously with what we're facing crisis-wise, uh, you know, in the in the world with the pandemic and so forth. But it's, it's also relevant when it comes to your marriage, finances, life. I mean, it matters. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the Bible's an awesome book, and I hope for those of you that maybe haven't been in it or never been in, in it, I hope that you'll discover or rediscover some of the awesome uh, truths and impact that it can make in your life. But one of the things also about the Bible is the Bible is a book of prophecy. The Bible says in Revelation 19, verse, uh, verse number 10, it says, For the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The Bible is a prophetic book. There are over 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. That's a lot. 80% of those have been vividly fulfilled uh, already. 80% of the 2,500 prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled. Uh, once again, uh, confirming and just another way of showing the validity of God's word with these prophecies. But that leaves a mere 20% of prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. 
When you hear the word apocalypse, and I'm asking you there at home, what comes to mind? You know, whether you're sitting around with the family, I hope, look over at the kids and ask, well, what comes to mind? Uh, the, I asked that question to someone yesterday, and the very first thing that came out of their mouth was zombies. Uh, apocalypse, I think of zombies, uh, somebody uh, said to me. Somebody says, well, I think of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, and I'm certain that most responses would be somewhat scary-ish. I mean, zombies and four horsemen and all that stuff when we think about the apocalypse. Um, what comes to mind? Now, what is the apocalypse? And are we in the apocalypse right now? Is this, is this a biblically apocalyptic thing that we're going through right now? Uh, now, if you Google uh, apocalypse, the, the definition that pops up on Google is the complete final destruction of the world as described in the biblical book of Revelation. That's not a bad definition, but it's really not that great of one either. It's really incomplete. Um, but the second definition is an event, destruction, or damage on an awesome or catastrophic scale. And, you know, that's where we hear about things being apocalyptic. It's a, uh, there was an apocalyptic crash to the stock market or whatever. There's an apocalyptic, and, and they say the, they, they use that word. And so that's a way that word has been morphed. Now, this is a good time for just a little sidebar here, is that you can't always trust Google. All right. Uh, we, we, that's one of the way we settle arguments, isn't it? Google it. But the fact of the matter is, is that one of the things you'll find uh, that you got to watch for is that they, uh, they, they move stuff to the top of their search list uh, based on certain agendas oftentimes. But, uh, but that's a whole nother story. That's what pops up if you Google uh, apocalypse. However, the word apocalypse is a transliteration of the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Uh, a transliteration just simply means that they didn't actually translate it out of the Greek. They just made it sound English, basically. Apocalypsis into apocalypse. Uh, the actual meaning of the word apocalypsis or apocalypse is revelation. Revelation. And revelation, so the, the true meaning of apocalypse, that as it was written in the Greek, is an unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known, which could not be known apart from the unveiling. The word apocalypse appears 18 times in the New Testament. 14 times it's translated revelation or revelations, as in God giving a revelation to someone or revelations to people. Um, the book of Revelation, the Greek word is literally we, we call it the revelation. It's technically the apocalypse. Same thing. The unveiling, the unveiling, the uncovering, the manifestation. So 14 times it's actually translated revelation or the plural of that. Uh, but then it's also translated lighten, lighten, um, manifestation, coming, and appearing. All of those, this, the word apocalypsis is used. Now, if you'll bear with me, I want to make a brief statement, kind of a Cliff's Note version, about some prophecy, okay, as far as apocalypse. Uh, and the reason I say a brief statement, uh, probably not even up to Cliff's Note's <laughs> uh, standards, because there are volumes that are written on the apocalypse. So much of the Old Testament prophets, as well as the New Testament, talks about what will take place in the last days. And by the way, it's very accurate. 
Uh, so if you'll bear with me, I want to make a, a brief prophetic statement, but then I want to make and close with a practical application, all right? So number one, the promise of the apocalypse. And would you believe that we're going to go to Christmas, not with this message, but with the illustration of the promise or the prophet, the prophecy of the apocalypse. Now, uh, just bear with me. Now remember, what does it mean? It means unveiling. It means an unshowing, a manifestation. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We hear these words around Christmas. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now this is an amazing passage of scripture because in verses 6 and 7, follow with me, for unto us a child is born, comma. Between the comma and the next word is about 33 years. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So a child is born, a son is given. And then from the colon, uh, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So from given, colon, to and the government shall be upon his shoulder is a period of at least a couple thousand years. Because it says, and upon his shoulder, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, uh, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And here's the part that I talk about that has not come to pass yet. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, are those literal words? Well, we just go back to the context. Was it literal when Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born? Yes, that's one of those prophecies that has been fulfilled. Was it literal? Unto us a son is given. Yes, because Jesus gave his uh, life, the Father so loved God, so loved the world that he gave his son. And therefore, it is also literal that Jesus will set up his government on this earth. He will indeed set up his throne. And I love the Bible says that it's going to be a government and peace. There shall be no end of the peace. I mean, it's just a blessing what God has in store for us now. So as sure as Jesus came the first time, Jesus is coming again. Amen. Jesus repeatedly confirmed that he would indeed return and set up his kingdom on the earth. Yes. The first phase of this return could be any moment. However, there is a period of seven years that are yet to be fulfilled before he returns to sit on the throne. Now, this has been the case, I believe, since Israel became a, a nation again in 1948, which was a biblical prophecy also. Uh, although the Bible says that there will be wars and rumors of wars, the Bible says there will be pandemics or pestilence, plagues, and earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, yes, the Bible warns about all these things. Now, is this the apocalypse? Are we in the midst of the apocalypse? Well, um, one thing you could say in, in one sense, just because we're having a pandemic does not necessarily mean this is the apocalypse, all right? Uh, but at the same time, the message that I'm preaching to you today, we've been preaching uh, as New Testament Christians for hundreds and, thousand, and a couple thousand years that Jesus is coming, all right? right. Why? Because Isaiah said it a long time ago, COVID-19 or no COVID-19, okay? Right. So I want to make that clear. 
I'm not saying it's clear now. Oh, my goodness. Jesus is coming again today. Get ready. But listen to this. Jesus may come today. So get ready. Get ready. Because we don't know the day or the hour. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. All right? So listen to this. Whenever you hear somebody, and undoubtedly you will hear, if you have not already heard, even through this crisis, someone saying Jesus is coming and they'll put a date on it. Uh, get away from that person. Don't listen to that person. Why? You can if you want to. But you can either listen to Jesus or listen to them. Amen. And I'm going to listen to Jesus. Amen. Yes. He says no man knows the day nor the hour. That's right. So the Lord's return is imminent. Uh, we, we call it the, the calling away. Jesus said uh, that he's going to come again and he's going to call us forth. The Bible says that a trumpet's going to sound. And we'll see more about that in just a moment. So the first phase of his return is imminent, which just simply means it could happen any time. And therefore, it's extremely important that we are ready for his immediate return, just because he could come immediately. But his coming isn't immediate, but it is certainly imminent. So that's one uh, passage, again, just very briefly giving you a quick overview about the promise of the apocalypse. There's another promise of the revelation of the unveiling of Christ, and it's in the book of Daniel. Interestingly enough, this one falls into the time of year that we're celebrating as Christians. This falls into Easter time, if you will. All right. Daniel 9 uh, was actually written 500 years before the triumphal entry of Christ. However, in Daniel chapter 9, God revealed to Daniel that there was a period of 490 years that was determined upon the nation of Israel. Something really important to understand is that the what we call the seven-year tribulation period, now the Bible calls that the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of Israel's trouble. This is a time when Israel will turn back to God. It is a time of judgment and so forth, uh, clearly, but it's a time of Jacob's trouble. The Bible says these years are determined upon uh, the, the people of Israel. Okay, so the Lord told Daniel that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem and be killed 483 years from the day that the Persian king Cyrus decreed that Israel could rebuild the temple. So literally, Daniel was told that from the day that Cyrus said that you could Jews, you are free, go rebuild the temple. From that day, from that day to the day that the Messiah would come in, in other words, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, would be exactly 483 years. I'm holding the calendar because that's how much it was. It was like, okay, 483 years to this day, bam, this is the day. That's how literal that prophecy was fulfilled. However, if you're doing the math, God told Daniel 490 years are determined upon your people. 483 years up until the time that Jesus entered and was crucified, that leaves a seven-year period remaining on the prophetic calendar. So on the calendar, there is another seven years that awaits us. This seven-year period is foretold in the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, um, as well as vast sections of the Old Testament prophets. He will call out all those that are saved before the great tribulation begins before the seven-year period begins. 
Uh, I say that because that does not mean, as some would say, that Christians will experience no tribulation. Jesus said we will have tribulation. We're having some tribulation now. Understand I'm saying tribulation. I'm not saying the great tribulation. Uh, because God's people, the, 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 those that are saved now, will not endure a moment of the seven, this seven-year period. Now, could there be a couple years or more leading up to that seven-year period of a, 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 a troubled time and tribulation, if you will? Of course there could, and I believe that there will be. But nevertheless, the point is that there is a time that's determined. And uh, the, the rapture, as it's often called, that word is, no, it's not found in the Bible. The rapture just simply means to be called away. And that is found in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, uh, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The important part about that verse is this. It says he's going to call us up to heaven to meet him. Okay, that's part of the return of the Lord, but it's not when he comes to earth to set up his kingdom. There's two, uh, there, there's a difference there. There's a distinction, an important distinction to be made in these. The Lord is coming again. And this corresponds, if you want to follow along or study it later, this corresponds with Revelation chapter number four, right before the four horsemen of the apocalypse come out. Uh, the Bible starts off with John saying, and I heard as it was a voice as a trumpet talking with me saying, what? Come up hither. <laughs> and I'm telling you, folks, any day, child of God, we can hear the trumpet sound and we Amen. can hear the voice of the Lord saying, come up hither. Come yes. up here. Amen. Come be with me. And at that moment is when uh, there's going to be, you talk about chaos. You have no, I mean, what we're having today is uh, perhaps a little bit of a dress rehearsal, but doesn't even compare to what it will be during that time. Uh, uh, when the Lord calls his uh, children home, then begins that seven-year period. And by the way, I'll say this now. At the end of that, that seven-year period concludes with the Battle of Armageddon. So there, that answers the question, is, is this Armageddon? Are there are the armies of the world gathered in the Valley of Megiddo against the Lamb of God right now? Then this isn't Armageddon, because that's what Armageddon is. Uh, and that'll be at the end of the seven years. And you can read about that in Revelation chapter 19. Okay, so, uh, so, so the Lord is coming again. So that's just a very brief statement on the prophetic nature of, uh, of you know, the apocalypse. Are we in the, the apocalypse? Uh, you know, in, in, that, in, in a sense, no, we are not in the seven-year tribulation period. Um, but could this be the beginning? Could the Lord come today? Absolutely he could. Uh, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, you know what I would have said to that question? Absolutely. Amen. Uh, I mean, so God has the time set. Don't misunderstand me. But he's not revealed that time to us other than saying, giving us, the Bible speaks about the signs of the times. But I'll say this real briefly before I move on to a quick practical application. And that's this. Many of the signs that we see coming to pass, and we are seeing prophecies still being fulfilled, people. The word of God, uh, put it to the test. Amen. Put God's word to the test. Uh, and if you're a sincere individual, you will find out that God's word is absolutely true. And I can say that with absolute confidence. A lot of absolutes in there. But, uh, but I do believe that. 
But here's the, here's the interesting thing about the, the coming of the Lord, about the apocalypse, about uh, the, the word of God. You can put it to the test because the signs that we're seeing, many of them, you know, many of us can identify with this. How many of you ever get frustrated whenever you go to, uh, go to Walmart? I can just pause right there and you can say yes. But when you go to Walmart, say in uh, the middle of October or especially say the first couple of days of November, and what do you see all over the place? Christmas trees, Christmas lights, I mean reindeer and all this stuff. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, already? Now, here's the thing. When you begin to see Christmas lights and Christmas trees in the stores and at Walmart and wherever you may go, guess what you know? You know that if you're already seeing signs for Christmas, Thanksgiving must be right around the corner. Thanksgiving is coming up fast. And that's kind of what prophecy teaches us. It teaches us that a lot of the signs of the times that we're seeing are for his return to set up his throne on this earth, which tells us that his coming has to be very soon. All right, so there is the prophetic application. Then just very quickly, I want to, I want to close with, a, with the practical nature of the apocalypse. Okay, so the first question that I told you I was going to preach on is apocalypse now, question mark. Um, but then here's the second part of the message. The good news of the apocalypse. Not two things you hear too often. Good news, apocalypse. The good news of the apocalypse. Now, when you study the Bible, you'll find out that one of the important, uh, theory, one of the important sciences, if you will, of uh, biblical interpretation is the first mention principle. In other words, if you're studying a, a specific uh, topic like the apocalypse, go find the first time the word is used. And the first time it's used, it, the, the, the truths that are found in there will carry through for the rest of the time that that, uh, that topic is used in the Bible. The first mention is important. But I want you to listen to the first mention of apocalypse in the Bible. Luke chapter 2, verse 32. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, you'll find this is, he's quoting out of Isaiah, but the, the, the Greek word apocalypsis is used, apocalypse. Here's what he says. A light to lighten. A light to apocalypse. A light to lighten. So the word lighten right there is apocalypse. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now consider for a moment with me the positive nature of the word apocalypse. A light. What does a light do? Well, a light does several things. For one thing, a light shows you the way in the darkness. Have you ever been walking in a dark room and have you ever, uh, you know, uh, fallen or hit your toe or ran into something or tripped over something in the dark? You can't see very well in the dark, but you have a little, just a little bit of light. You can just light a match or a, a candle and it brings light into the darkness. Okay. So what is he saying? Apocalypse, light and apocalypse are the same word. What I want to go ahead and try to tell you right now when I talk about the good news of the apocalypse is this. God is trying to give you some light right now. He's trying to give me some light right now. He's trying to help us see things a little bit clearly. Now, when we're so confident in the, how great we were doing in America, and I'm saying we still are, but I'm just saying obviously uh, economically, people get confident in that. People get real confident in the government. People get real confident in their, e their immortality. They don't think of death. They don't think of dying. 
But guess what God's done? Apocalypse. He's turned the light on. A light to lighten. He's light. So he's helping people see the light. Now, the thing is, is I, we all know that, that we were created amazingly. And, and uh, you, you study the eye and you'll see just an amazing uh, design and creation that could not have been a product of evolution because the eyes can adjust to darkness. The eyes can adjust to darkness. That's an amazing thing. Um, they get used to the darkness. And you know, that's how it is for a lot of people in our country. People have been used to the darkness. They've been in the darkness so long, they've become used to it. But light helps show you the way in the darkness. And this kind of goes on with what I'm saying. The next part, light wakes you up. Now, there's this whole woke movement, which, uh, which much, much of that is tr actually darkness and so forth. But there is a true side of being woke. And light will wake you up. Amen. I remember times, uh, you know, when I, when I would try to wake up my kids when they were small. They, we got to get up, go somewhere. They got to get up, get ready for school, whatever the case may be. And you go over and you go into the bedroom and you go in there quietly and you shake them and say, hey, time to get up. Time to get up. Time to go to school. <laughs> shake them a little bit harder. <laughs> you know what you can finally do? Hit that light. That wakes them up, amen? I can remember uh, uh, sometimes when we would drive down to North Carolina where I'm from, we would leave at two, uh, 3 or 4 in the morning. And uh, and so we, we would agree to leave at that time. And so Mel Melanie, my beautiful wife, gets up, starts getting ready, and, uh, and she's ready for me to get up and start getting ready. And so what does she do at, two, at 3 or 4 in the morning? Hits the light, turns the light on. And, of course, when she would do that, I would just roll over and say, Good morning, beautiful. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would say, woman, have you lost your mind? What's wrong with you? Turn out that light, right? It wakes you up. See, uh, and that's, that's, that's how it is. That light wakes you up. And it might be a rude awakening. And you may not appreciate it, but light shows you the way in the darkness. Light wakes you up. And I want to say quickly, right, light reveals blemishes and flaws. Yeah. Uh, we have a, uh, you know, we, we have a, a, a doctor in the, in the church, and, and she was telling me that years ago, um, when she was in California, how that she was, uh, they had an actor, and a, or I don't know if the actor, I think the actor actually did come in, but they were going to be doing a movie about a surgeon. And so they actually agreed to let this actor and some of the movie people come in and watch this surgery. And so she was real excited to see the movie once it came out because, wow, they used us as an example of what surgery would look like. And one of the first things that she noticed was how dark they had that operating room in the movie. But in, in the movies and stuff, there's always this darkness and stuff. But she's like, man, that's not the way it is because in the OR, it is bright. Because they want to be able to see everything clearly. It may not be real beautiful what they're doing, but it's important that they see clearly what they are doing. And, uh, you know, there's an interesting thing about this. John, the Bible says in John 3, 16, a, a verse that many of us are familiar with, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It goes on to say, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth on him 
I believe it not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And listen to this. And this is the condemnation that light, light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. There's many people that the reason they do not want to come to Christ is because they love the darkness. Therefore, they don't want to come to the light. But what God's trying to do is give you an opportunity. He's trying to give you an opportunity to kind of see things for what they really are. To see the frailty, to see the brevity of life. To be reminded of your mortality. To, be, to look around maybe at your family or maybe lack thereof and just be reminded of what matters the most. God's giving you the opportunity to see. It's interesting. There's another prophecy concerning the apocalypse that falls in this line of light in, in, in Psalms 2. In the second Psalm, the Bible says, why do the heathen rage? Now, this is actually going all the way to the Battle of Armageddon in the book of Psalms. Interesting. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord. All right. So why are these people so mad at God? Why do we live in a culture that is so anti-God, so anti-Bible, so anti-truth, so anti-church? That's the, that's the generation that many of us have been living in in recent years. And against his, his anointing. Why? Now here's what they say. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We do not want restraints on our immorality. We do not want any bands holding us back from going headlong into darkness and into destruction. God's grace wants to keep people out. But I'm telling you, these people are saying, no, I want no part of that. And that seems to be the general attitude that's permeating the world today, influencing billions of people. And honestly, you may be even a part of that number and not even realize it. Here's what I want to say to you from a practical standpoint. Take advantage of this opportunity. Take advantage of this light. Psalm 2 says it this way. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be happy? Put your trust in him. Amen. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be all caught up in everything. You can be concerned. You can, be, uh, you can take precautions as far as what we're dealing with today. But you can have peace. You can put your trust in him. So, apocalypse, what's it mean to you? Whether it means doom and gloom or glory, does it mean gloom or does it mean glory? That's kind of up to you. One could say there's two sides to that coin, but I can assure you of this today. God wants your perspective of the apocalypse to be more on the glory side. Amen. Why? That's why you're hearing this message today. If you're not saved, he wants to save you. He wants to save you. He wants to make a difference in your life. But you've got to be willing to trust him. Turn from the darkness. Turn to the light. I think about this because I haven't said a lot about it because, again, I'm saying these things fairly briefly. But I'm telling you, there will be judgment in the tribulation period. 
And honestly, a lot of the judgment is going to be God lifting his grace and just allowing man to do like what, what as they will. He's going to allow men to cut his bands asunder to an extent and the cords. And But, but judgment, the Bible says there's going to be judgment from God, wrath on this earth. And people say, well, that's terrible. I understand this, though. Stop for a moment. God is throwing you a lifeline right now. He's not willing that any should perish. Amen. He's standing here like this. And what it reminds me of, it reminds me of somebody that's out in the ocean drowning and fussing that there's a ship here that will not save them. I can't believe I'm not on that ship, therefore I'm going to drown. The ship has a lifeline thrown out. A light, a, how about I said a lightsaber? A lifesaver thrown out to you. And it's like that person saying, I can't believe that that ship is going to let me stay out here and drown. What sense does that make? But that's how people complain about God. Amen. They push the life raft away. They push the lifesaver away and then say, God's so awful. God's so mean. He's going to let me drown out here. Come on. Yeah. I mean, listen, think about this for just a moment. It reminds me of this. It reminds me of the cowboy that was riding out over his ranch and he came up over a steep cliff and, man, a, a snake spooked his horse and kicked him off his horse. And, and over that steep cliff he goes down to a certain death and right before he goes over he grabs the root with one hand and, and he begins to scream and he begins to say, is there anybody up there? And a voice comes back and says, this is God. I'll save you, but first you have to let go of the root. The cowboy hesitates just for a moment and then he says, is there anybody else up there? That's how people are. But what God's trying to show you is there's nobody else up here. The grabbing onto the economy is not where you're going to find hope and peace. Amen. Grabbing onto sin is not where you're going to find right. fulfillment. I'll give you a, a, another illustration. I remember this, and uh, years ago, I've got this mason jar, and I heard about a monkey, uh, a, a monkey hand trap or something, an African monkey trap. And what they would do is they would take a gourd. This is not a gourd. This is a mason jar. But the, but the principle is still the same. It would have an opening small enough for a monkey's hand to go into. Into, back out of. Into, back out of. But they would put a piece of fruit or candy down in there. Got a little miniature Snickers. And if I put my hand in this jar and I grab down in there and I get a hold of this candy, then all of a sudden I've got my fist balled up because i got a grip on the candy. Now, the trick to this gourd is it would be tied to a stake or a tree. And so the monkey now wants to get away. But guess what? It cannot get away. It cannot get its hand out of the gourd. No matter how much it tries, it struggles, it screams, it cries. This is how so many people are today. They're holding on to their sin. They're holding on to their pride. And they won't let go and they're trapped. And they wonder, why am I trapped? Why am I facing this judgment? All that monkey has to do is let go. Amen. Let go. Would you be willing to let go today of your sin? Let go of your pride and put your faith and trust in him? And that brings us to this point. And I'm going to have Sonia come play softly on the piano as we bring this to a close today. There's this, these truths requ require a response. Require a response. Number one, I'll say this quickly, church. Service. You know what Jesus said in Luke 19, 13? The Bible says, He said unto them, Occupy till I come. 
Occupy, occupation, work. Hey, Christians, I appreciate those of you out there. You're taking advantage of this to work, to try to be a blessing to your neighbor, to show the love of Christ. Occupy till I come. I was going to share it. I, I invite you to go read this on your own, but in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, please go read that later, Acts 1, 6 through 11, because it comes back into the apocalypse. The disciples thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom while he was on earth. That's why they, that's why they uh, said many of the things that they said throughout his time on the earth. And literally all the way up to the time that Jesus began to ascend into heaven. And they look at him and they say, well, Lord, are, are, at this time, are you going to set up your kingdom? Are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, no, he, he didn't really answer. He just said this. He, he said the times and, and seasons aren't really your business. He says, here what you need to do. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Be a witness. Work. Occupy till he comes. Will he come today? I don't know, but we need to work like he's coming today. Work. But then I want to say this lastly. There is a response of service, but then there's the response of salvation. I ask you this today. Will you respond? If you do not know Christ today, will you respond to his outstretched hand? 